episode of Girl Influence Power is brought to you by Collectin. Shop or run the world's tiniest boutiques with Collectin. Welcome to Girl Influence Power Podcast. I'm your host, Nadia Lee, entrepreneur, jewelry designer, CEO, co-founder of Collectin, an app that lets you shop influencer and designer labels direct from the source. Thank you for tuning in live on CastBox. This episode is brought to you by Collectin. Shop the world's tiniest boutiques in partnership with CastBox. For those tuning in to our podcast for the ter- first time, this is Girl Influence Power. It's a podcast dedicated to interviewing influential women, whether she's an entrepreneur, an influencer, or a public figure, to explore the common thread that binds us together and makes us successful as influencers. So today, my guest is Abigail Hing Wen, the smart and beautiful Renaissance woman of many talents. Abigail, who goes also by Abby, is an author of a newly released book, Love Boat Taipei. And that's just released like this week, right? Tuesday. <laughs> yep. She's also a kick-ass businesswoman and an attorney. Abby is a senior director of AI Tech with Intel's Office of the CTO Artificial Intelligence Group. She's also previously worked with many Silicon Valley investors as the lead legal um, on startup investments. In her previous life, she's an attorney with a prestigious law firm, as well as clerked for the U.S. Court of Appeals for D.C. Circuit, and worked on tech and innovation policy for the Senate Judiciary Committee. Not only that, Abby holds a BA from Harvard, a JD from Columbia Law School, and a master's in writing from Vermont College of Fine Art. Wow, that's like a lot <laughs> to even for me to recite. Well, welcome, welcome, Abby. Thank um, you for having me. Thank you for <laughs> welcome to our show. You are one busy woman. So we're just going to jump right in and talk a lot about um, your book, your career, and just your life in general so the audience can get to know you better. So I'm going to talk first about what's the most important piece of writing that you've done in your life. And it's not the novels I'm talking about. Um, so do you remember what you wrote on your college application essay? <laughs> oh, I do, actually. I was not expecting that question. <laughs> this is the fun part. <laughs> right. But, you know, it's so funny that you asked that because I wrote about tutoring a Taiwanese-American immigrant girl. Oh, really? <laughs> and I never made that connection back to this, the subject of my book. It was a girl. She, um, her name was Hanya. And, you know, I, we haven't been in touch since I graduated mm-hmm. from high school, but her, she was a new immigrant, I think, she was maybe like 10, 11 years old. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the um, the parents contacted the school and asked for a tutor recommendation. I'd never tutored anyone right. before, but you know, I have, I'm an older sister, so mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. just did it informally. So I would meet with her like once or twice a week and just helped her with English. And I would set assignments for her and like read with her and check her math, you know, and just mm-hmm. everything. Right, right. And well, then eventually right. I took on her little brother too. So I wrote about how meaningful it was for me to help her parse through like the English language and mm-hmm. you know and I was, like just being impressed with how quickly she could pick things up right and and also what a what fun it was for me just to parse through very specific things like what's the difference between have something and happen to have and I still ah. remember that I, I wrote about that mm-hmm. in my college application ah. just like these little nuances right 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 and so it's funny you ask that question because <laughs> I'm like well now I'm writing I wrote about Taiwan and about and I, I love words and language. Right, right. And then your audience is also very young too, right? <laughs> yeah. So now you grew up in Ohio. So what is it like being in Ohio and being Asian American? 
So I grew up with very few Asian Americans. Mm-hmm. Probably another reason why I enjoyed tutoring um, right. Hanya so much. Um, and you know, part of the, the the college application, I wrote about that personal connection that I had mm-hmm. with her. Um, you know, it was it was hard in some ways and very positive in some ways. I think Ohio, you know, it's Bible Belt, really great family values, mm-hmm. um, very safe. Like I remember just ah. being roaming the neighborhoods with right. my brother and sister ourselves mm-hmm. and playing baseball in the yard with neighbors. And all that was great. Um, it was sometimes hard to be the one of the few minorities right, in town. And, right. like, you know, my classmates, I think, were more understanding. But when you would go out to the greater communities, sometimes you get these comments about right. the way you look or mm-hmm. people make up make fun of you with, like, made-up language. Right, 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 right. And, you know, and there were definitely some hard moments. I've written about some of it. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. out there. There's a piece that School Library Journal just published on um, an audition that I did in high school um, for a, for a play, and mm-hmm. I was cast in a non English speaking role. Uh-huh. And the character was actually couldn't speak English, but and made up. It was a made up language. It wasn't ah. even like really Chinese, right? Uh-huh. So things like that, that I think were just I can't kind of like wow. You know, look <laughs> back on, it, I'm like, wow, that was not cool. Um, but it built your character. It <laughs> made you stronger. Definitely builds your character, right? Yeah. Now complete the sentence for me. Now, if you're best friend was going to vote you for most likely to, what would they vote you for in high school? In high school, huh? Mm-hmm. Um, I did get some of those. <laughs> <laughs> what did, what did, which one did you get? I'm curious, actually. I, I laugh now because at the time I was like rolling my eyes. It was, I think it was most likely to succeed. Oh, would <laughs> <laughs> have guessed. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, and I didn't actually think... I just, I, like I said, I didn't really right, take it right. seriously. Like, they don't really know me. <laughs> no, but you know, I think in general, people just give off a vibe. Um, even I think, I think it, it's not about the age. It's, it's just that feeling that you get when you mm. meet more and more people. And as you get older and wiser, now that we're older and wiser, we, we actually have that feeling of young people too. Like sometimes we meet some young young people and we just go, oh, this one's going to make it or this one's going to go somewhere. And I think they're not wrong (laughs) to vote you that. Um, But anyway, uh, so you've accomplished so much. So I presume you're pretty much a real persistent planner. Now, if you think back when you're young, do you say like you were the kind of person that plan ahead like a week, a semester, a month, five years, 10 years? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I, I don't think I really planned ahead that much. It was really my college roommate Mm-hmm. Um, Judy Hung Liang, whom I'm staying with while I'm here in Los Angeles. Oh, nice. She um, she taught me how to get organized. Like oh, we, okay. we used to call her the organizational queen. Like she mm-hmm. was always running everything at the Phillips Brooks House, which is the big um, student volunteer service mm-hmm. organization mm-hmm. on campus. And she is the one who taught me, like, you got to sit down with your your course schedule and plan mm-hmm. out like all the midterms, the finals, the papers, and like oh. put it on your calendar. And you mm-hmm. can see if like which ones are overlapping and clashing into each other. And oh. you might have to drop a class if there's too right. many that are lined up. And I was like, I'd never thought about my schedule that way. <laughs> I was like, she's thinking all the way to the end of the semester. Oh, wow. Um, so I definitely didn't grow up that way. I was more uh-huh. like, you know, seated in my pants, like just kind of doing what was in the oh, moment. Oh, nice. And I think she really, she kind of uh, shaped me up. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that's nice. That's a good friend, really. Yeah. Like, I, I love, I've been staying with her here. And when I went back last night afternoon, I'm like, oh, I feel home. <laughs> Oh, that's nice. Now, was law a personal choice or was it something that was expected of you? You know, being Asian and everything, you know, how parents love for us to be doctors, lawyers. Mm-hmm. So I think it started off personal. Like I did a, a unit in uh, middle school where I mm-hmm. played a judge for a day and uh-huh. that was really fun. And I enjoyed like digging into the cases and 
issues. I don't even remember what they were. It's probably about juvenile justice. Oh, okay. I remember that was one of the topics. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought at that point that, oh, yeah, I could be a judge. Um, oh, so I actually nice. went to college thinking I was going to be a judge. Oh, okay. Um, but I think along the way, I, you know, I was thinking about politics too. Right. And then there came a point I'm like, no, this is not for me. Like big law firm was not for right, me. Right, right. And, um, I did step away from it then. But, you know, I think it was one of those things you have a bunch of ideas as a kid of what right. you want to be when you grow up. Right. And your parents will reinforce some and shut yes. down other ones. And so definitely being, <laughs> being a judge is something that they were right. they were high on. And yeah. I think I, at one point I suggested being a farmer's wife <laughs> and a painter. And they were less excited about those. <laughs> That's funny because, you know, we, we actually have the same uh, major, international relations. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I actually wanted to be a diplomat, too, and work at the UN. Yeah. Um, but anyway... That uh, mine experience opposite from you, I'm like, oh, it's not going to happen to me. <laughs> it's not my kind of thing. And I just totally fell in love with business because I was so good at selling stuff. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, so what took you away from being in law and then going into corporate uh, on the corporate side and then moving all the way from, you know, being in Ohio all the right. way to the West Coast? So my legal journey has been, you know, very diverse also. Mm-hmm. You know, so I loved law school and people said that I would. Like it's yeah. really an, a fun place where you really just learn how to think uh, like the, a lawyer. Right. And really academically stimulating. And people would say like, you know, practice of law is far less academic. Right. And I think mm-hmm. that's what I found. So I, uh, I left, I, I did a clerkship for a year, which was mm-hmm. a fantastic opportunity and right. experience. Like mm-hmm. a year of public service, working with a judge. Right. I learned to write from her because mm-hmm. she would write you know, opinion one, and I would mm-hmm. write on top of her opi- version two, and she do uh, version three on top okay. of me, and that's how I write even today with uh, my novels. Okay. Um, and of course, having her edit all my writing right. like intensely for a year <laughs> yeah. was incredibly—that's true. That's incredibly like formative. Personal mentoring. Yes. Um, so, and then after that, I had I went to a law firm and I practiced um, in transactional mm-hmm, law, mm-hmm. and then I had my three years off with my kids that uh, I mentioned earlier. Right, right. Um, and then I went back into transactional law and eventually went in house to uh-huh. do venture capital law. So uh, I've actually been right. practicing law for, for most yeah. of this time, right, right, until May of this year uh-huh. because the book deal was like. Just it was going crazy in a good oh. way. I had no more capacity at work to do right. three jobs, uh, and so I let go of two mm-hmm. of them, and oh, okay. those were the legal jobs. And I kept the business, artificial uh, intelligence, oh, thought leadership nice. work. Yeah, that's nice. Um, now, is it different working with because there's so much perception of working uh, in Silicon Valley and being the very few women that mm-hmm. there is in in the valley? Um, what would you say to that? Um, what's your experience like working in Silicon Valley? Oh, wow, you're asking really hard personal <laughs> questions. <laughs> well, different questions. I, I love them. No, thank you. Really appreciate this one too. So I used to joke that I work with thirty guys a day, uh-huh. um, which is pretty much true. Oh, really? <laughs> um, and I, I worked with like really great guys. Like actually, one of them, Carrie Lai, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. also went on Love Boat. We didn't actually. I don't know if we realized this until later, but he gave me one of the ideas that's in my book uh, around stick fighting. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he helped to throw a launch party for me recently in um, San Francisco. So oh, he's nice. a venture capitalist. Mm-hmm. Loved working with him, and then I work with a number of like other really awesome VCs uh-huh. and quite a few of them all came to my launch party oh, and nice. at Kepler's, yeah. which is fun. <laughs> um, and then I work with some really fantastic people in a startup that we acquired three yeah, years ago. Okay. Um, and that's a, it's an artificial intelligence right. accelerator startup and my team is fabulous. Uh, yeah. They're brilliant, um, really funny. And that's why I'm still there because I just <laughs> love working with them. Um, but yeah, that's, those are like the really awesome guys uh, right, right. that are like, how it, the world should be. Right. You know, right. They, I think they look at me and like, of course I'm one of them. Like I'm, <laughs> of course I should be leading projects and right. 
running the deals, um, and they've been super supportive and awesome. And then there have been some hard times yeah. as a woman, mm-hmm. as one of the few women. Like I think it was one of those moments. So Barack Obama talks mm-hmm. about the rude awakening that an African-American child can have when mm-hmm. they discover there's racism in the world. Right. And I felt like even though I went to Harvard and I came out thinking, you know, I'd, I'd been trained as a leader. Right. I thought of myself as a leader. Mm-hmm. My friends and I thought of each other as leaders. Right. To come out and like when it was time to move into leadership, mm-hmm. I would run into people who were like, you want to lead people? Like, right. are, you mean you mean projects, right? And, like, <laughs> and it was like, it was a weird awake. It was, that was my rude awakening. Like, mm-hmm. oh, this whole time I thought I was a leader. And this whole time they didn't think I was a leader, right? right? right and right. Um, obviously, so I ended up gravitating to the people mm-hmm. who did yeah. see my leadership skills. Mm-hmm. And those were the ones who actually, one of them had gone to Harvard through, you know, six years before me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they were just more used to working with people like women right. like me. Ah, okay. But there was definitely a group of, of guys that it was much harder. I was, and I, for a long time, I actually tried to, I think I, I just kind of internalized it and I'm like, right. Oh, maybe I'm not a leader mm-hmm. and, um, maybe I'm doing things wrong and maybe it's just harder in the working world than it was in school. And, right. and, and then, it, and then, but when other people started tapping me for projects, mm-hmm. that's when things started to change. And then speaking with my other girlfriends around mm-hmm. the country who were wrestling with similar things at the same time in their careers, uh, mm-hmm. it was easier for us to see it in each other. Like, wait, no, you should actually be promoted. Right. You should be moving into leadership. We know you're much better right, than what... Right. So so that was actually... This has really all just happened the past year uh, and a half. Okay, yeah. I know, like, people talk about there's a very strong Harvard connection between Harvard grads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you feel that? Yes, <laughs> yes. Talk about that. Absolutely. I'm, I'm so curious. <laughs> No, I think I I'm just really grateful, like mm-hmm. for my Harvard friends that have been so supportive of this book. Mm-hmm. Um, Harvard changed my life. Ah. I, you know, I was my parents immigrated from the Philippines right. and Indonesia, mm-hmm. and I grew up in Ohio. And um, you know, when I went to Harvard, I was completely unprepared. You know, I just did not know. <laughs> I was like, "Am I supposed <laughs> to be here?" But my friends, like just have been really supportive and like I said my right. my college roommate mm-hmm. and like we've other friends who have just been helping to get the word out and um I think really just been an emotional support network through the years okay and I know you are now in the tech business mm-hmm. and you deal a lot with AI now how did you even get into like how do you know so much about AI and and, and you know like going from law to tech right. um, was that a huge learning curve yeah and it is still a big learning curve mm-hmm. um and even the people who are really technical in my field will tell you it's there's constantly on the steep learning curve too because uh, the AI space is moving so fast. Right. Um, so I, you know, I, a lot of it was I was working as a venture capitalist mm-hmm, lawyer, and mm-hmm. so I would see all the new technologies right. coming through with the mm-hmm. companies, and you're just trying to pay attention and see, understand like what is this? What are what are these companies producing? I would say my understanding is more, you know, I am like an a lawyer coming into right. the space mm-hmm. and. Like I read books on machine learning and artificial mm-hmm. intelligence. Um, I don't program, right? Mm-hmm. But I like understand. I think things at a conceptual level, mm-hmm. and then of course I'm really familiar with the technologies uh, and like okay. where the directions that they're moving in. So you see it more from a third party point of view, looking from mm-hmm. out inwards, right. right? Right. Okay. So I think you know my areas that I'm kind of focused on are like AI, AI and bias, mm-hmm. and um, uh, like what are the new breakthroughs in AI? Like I'm really interested in what. Google DeepMind and OpenAI are doing mm-hmm. as they're um, trying to reach artificial general right. intelligence mm-hmm. and, you know, what are the steps to get there? Okay. 
So what kind of camp are you with in terms of AI? You know how there's always this two camp, like AI is going to destroy humanity mm -hmm. or AI is going to improve humanity, which, I mean, what's your oh, take I'm absolutely on? <laughs> I'm working in the field. I'm a, I'm a believer. I, there's, I think there's some, there are some valid concerns about AI right. going out of control, and mm -hmm. I think there's some really smart people devoted to trying to address that. Mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, that gives me a lot of comfort. I do think it's a revolutionary technology. It's gonna. It's already shaping the way we do right. things. It's gonna mm -hmm. make our lives much more efficient. Um, it can also be dangerous in the sense of perpetuating biases that are in the data. Okay. Um, so there've been some headlines about uh, hiring algorithms right. that are weighted against women because uh -huh. historically women have not received jobs in leadership. Uh, right. And so, you know, women's college could be negatively correlated with mm -hmm. salary. Right. Um, but not because. And it's it's hard to fix those right, things, right? right? Because the data is there, the and there. they're just studying from the data and mm -hmm. learning from what that, what yes. they can pull from the data. Right. So some <laughs> of the work that I'm doing, so I'm I'm a, one of the co-chairs for the expert committee on um, fairness, transparency, uh -huh. and accountability uh -huh. for the partnership on AI. And oh, this is okay. some of the work that they're doing. They're doing uh -huh. a lot of thinking around the policy space. Right. And how do we put safeguards in place? Right. Um, even at the very beginning levels, like it really needs to happen from the ground up. Uh -huh. Technology and policy need to be working closely together. Uh -huh. And I'm not actually seeing enough of that uh -huh. in our country okay. right now. There's not a lot of understanding of AI um, in the policy space or what I'm seeing is like policymakers that are making policy, but not actually close to the technology. Uh, and we need okay. to have more of that. Right, right, right. Um, now, as a mother, how do you prepare for your for your kids um, to be in a world dominated by AI in the future? <laughs> so both my kids are actually really interested in AI. So mm -hmm. they they're both programmers. Their technical ah, skills are okay. far beyond me. They're beyond my husband too. Like they're really good. <laughs> So I think they're going to be more prepared than I am. Okay. <laughs> so you're not worried. <laughs> they're explaining everything to me. So, All right. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Now you can try before you buy on Collectin. Introducing Experience, the new way to shop jewelry. Flaunt your style and express your creativity with Experience. Get it today, only on Collectin. Welcome to Girl Influence Power. We're back with Abigail. All right, so we're going to talk about your book, Love Boat Taipei, that's just recently released, like this week. <laughs> so let me start off by uh, talking about um, your book. Um, we both have children, and I know this generation parents are much more intense in regards to our children's education. So is that something you feel, you know, with your kids as well? And also being in the Bay Area, it's very intensive, I hear. Yes. <laughs> so tell me about that. <laughs> yeah, the Bay Area is very intensive. My pediatrician actually told us people will move away for high school because really? it's so <laughs> stressful and competitive. I think I read an article somewhere that it's like the most competitive place to get oh. into college out of. Uh -huh. um, so yes, definitely. <laughs> um, interesting that I didn't, I had not heard that it's a more intensive time across the board for mm -hmm, everybody. Mm -hmm. um, but it's possible. Like definitely college applications right, are right, up right. and um, I think more and more jobs require higher education. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that could be part of it too. Oh, okay. Um, you're, practically a poster child for an Asian tiger mom, <laughs> Harvard grad, <laughs> Columbia law. Now looking back, how important is education in shaping your life? And do you think you could have accomplished uh, what you've accomplished without the education? 
So I, as I mentioned, I think for me, coming as an immigrant, a child of immigrants, my mom from the Philippines, my dad from Indonesia, like I needed Harvard. Like it changed uh, my life. Uh-huh. It completely revolutionized my life. It put you in life. a different it like, just, place it just, in the map? I remember my dad said to my mom when I got in, he's like, she's going to be exposed to things we can't even imagine. Uh, Actually, okay. makes me want to cry. Because <laughs> really, like as an immigrant, like... You know, and this is before the internet where you could actually right, find stuff out right, online. Right, like, we right. didn't have access to so much information. Right, right. And, you know, even at Harvard, I still didn't know so many things. Like, I didn't mm-hmm. know, did grades matter? Uh, For a really, like, mm-hmm. even until I graduated, I still wasn't sure, do grades mm-hmm. matter? Um, because I'm like, now that I'm in college. Like, right. th- and, and, and it turns out the answer, in case anyone else, you know, is right, the same right. shoes, is yeah. it depends on what you want to do, yeah. right? If you want to go to a certain grad schools, like law school grades do matter, yeah. med school matters, right. business school matters less because they want to see work experience and leadership. Uh, right, and, right. You know, so I, there's, there's so many things I just didn't know that Harvard gave me, uh, you know, and like through the faculty, but mostly through my mm-hmm. my classmates and just uh, how much I learned from them and being exposed to kids from all over the world. Right, right. Um, that, who were performing and at such a high caliber. Right. So, so no, it's great to hear because I think a lot of kids nowadays being exposed to social media, they feel like school is not important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that social media are being more influential is, um, but that's not necessarily the case. Right. And that's really hard to impress upon, you know, young adults nowadays um, yeah. because they think they can pick up their camera or their phone and then be an influencer and be super rich. <laughs> <laughs> they can, though. That's they the can, thing. They, they can. can. But it's, it's just as hard being an influencer as is being successful in any career. <laughs> right. But I mean, your, to your question, like, is it important today? Like, I, I think it's less important now. Mm-hmm. Um, at least, uh, you know, I, I take it back. I think there's probably kids like me who it is mm-hmm. important for. Right, because right. Because they need that. And I, I have another friend from small town Texas. Nobody, like, you know, she loved growing up there in some ways and hated it in other ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she does say that Stan- going to Stanford changed her life, uh. right? But I think, you know, we look at our kids, um, and like there's, they have so much access now to information right, through right. the internet, social media, their friend groups. Um, I think that's just a big leveler right, the playing right. field. Okay. And your artistic side is obviously very important to you. So, um, you know, like when did you first start to write and how did that come about um, being from law? <laughs> right. So I've always been a storyteller. I used to tell my brother and sister stories when we were little, mm-hmm. and I, you know, continue that even with my when the kids were born. And I've been keeping a journal since I was nine. So uh, I've always written. It's it's been a part of who I am, okay. and it still is. This mm-hmm. is people ask me like how you kept going, you know, through twelve years of rejection right, right. of my writing, and part <laughs> really? of it is I um I just. I just love to write. Like uh-huh. it's, I would, I would continue to write regardless. Uh-huh. Um, it's just something you love. It's something I love. Yeah. It, it grounds me. It settles mm-hmm. me. Um, it's a way for me to work out what uh, I'm thinking about, right, right, and what I'm feeling. So it's like therapy to you, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but I, it wasn't. I started seriously writing fiction um, when I was pregnant with my second child, twelve uh, so twelve years ago. Okay. And I wrote a first novel and kind of was hooked after right, that. Right. Right. So you're a pretty uh, prolific writer, despite your crazy schedule. This is like the fifth book you wrote. Yep. Um, so what were the other books about, or generally about? Yeah, so the first one is a middle-grade fantasy mm-hmm. called Foxstone. I hope that I'll resurrect it one day. Um, <laughs> the second is a book about the Uyghurs of China. I spent mm-hmm. six weeks there ah. um, out of college and just you know wrote a story set mm-hmm. in that world. Um, the third 
was a story set in Silicon Valley, and then the fourth was an artificial intelligence virtual reality book. Oh, wow. And then this Love Boat was the fifth one. <laughs> and then I have another one that's in the works, but, you know, and I have a bunch of other little pieces here uh, and there that okay. I don't know if they'll turn into novels or not. Ah, uh, okay. Nice. Now, we're of the same generation. I don't want to date ourselves, but, you know, when I was a teenager, teenager I really wanted to go to Love Boat because <laughs> I'm from Taiwan, mm-hmm. and I hear so many of my friends, they go to Love Boat every summer, and I'm like, hey. Do they? Huh. Yeah, they do, and I've I've always wanted to go, but my dad won't let me. But anyway, so your latest novel, Love Boat Taipei, for Asian American listeners, we kind of know the insider story about the significance of that. But for those out there that are not from this Chinese culture or from mm-hmm. Taiwan, now can you explain to me, like the audience, what it's about? Sure. So it's actually a real program. Mm-hmm. It's a program set in Taiwan, and it's been around since the 1960s. Oh. Asian American parents would send their kids there to learn language and culture and Uh also potentially to find a spouse. (laughs) So hence the nickname Love Boat. Ah. And so the book itself, um, I I went on Love Boat as um, a presidential scholar. Uh The Taiwanese government went through the list of all the major scholarships. So presidential scholars, Mm Koch scholars, Westinghouse scholars, Mm -hmm. everyone with a Chinese last name got this trip for free. So that's why I went. I showed up thinking (laughs) language culture and then I turns out to be this crazy party as you know the (laughs) kids go crazy yeah it's like a bunch of kids that have been studying hard their whole lives so they're set loose in a foreign country yep and uh they party like the pitch from HarperCollins like when in when on love boat party like the prodigies do (laughs) (laughs) so snake blood sake sneaking out of campus Ah. glamour shots yeah um like it was crazy it was fun (laughs) and very formative they should talk about the 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 Clubbing culture. <laughs> the clubbing culture, yes. Do you, do you have any, like, what, so I know you talked about a little bit about the clubbing, right, in Taiwan. Uh-huh. <laughs> share with us. Oh, like, yes. The, share with the audience well, the clubbing culture. my main character is a dancer, uh-huh. right? It was funny because I was thinking about, like, who's going to go on Love Boat? Like, uh-huh. who should be my main character uh-huh. for this journey? And, I, you know, I talked a little bit about the emotional journey of a character who doesn't know her culture right, going right. on Love Boat because then mm-hmm. she does reconnect with her culture. Right. and But also discovering her identity and uh, all its facets. And then, of course, right. like the clubbing scenes, I'm like, oh, she's got to be a dancer. And so <laughs> when she goes clubbing, she's just like in her element. Right. Um, and I'm also a dancer, so it's that takes kind of drawing from that. from you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, so what is one thing you want the readers to draw from your book? Or what, one takeaway? Um, or is there any takeaway? Yeah. Or is it just something fun? So... I, one of the things that we talked about in my MFA program, one of the things mm-hmm. I learned from Martine Lovett is the reader really completes the story with uh-huh. their own experiences. Right. And that act of engagement is what makes the story what it is. Uh. So I think every reader will take something different away depending mm-hmm. on like what background they come from. I'm okay. definitely hearing from readers now who are resonating with different mm-hmm. points. Um, and that's exciting. So some resonating with like Sophie's journey, um, you know, like coming from a family that expects her to get married. Right. Um, Others are resonating with Ever's journey of trying to choose between her passions and what her Mm -hmm. parents expect of her. And I I think, you know, but the big takeaway is more of like a sense of like freedom Uh, and hope that, you know, we can really be who we are. Right. And... be be ourselves in in all senses of the word all facets of it right because you know i think also the asian culture doesn't really emphasize the importance of being you know the artistic part of being who you are Mm -hmm. Uh, we we always focus on the academic more um so i think that's really important to see a different side of all the different kinds of asians that we can be um right right that's no that's actually another big point is the the diversity among Asian right, Americans. Right, right, right. There's 30, there's a cast of 30 different characters in the book and they're all different. Right. 
Right. So now, how do you compare Love Boat Taipei with Crazy Rich Asians? <laughs> I have to ask that. Yeah, no, I love Crazy Rich Asians. I think it's a it's a great it's a great story. It's a great mm. movie. Um, I don't I don't think they can be compared. <laughs> I mean, this one it's been pitched as a young adult Crazy Rich Asians. Ah. Um, you know, that one is is a girl going to Singapore. Right. Um, and you know, getting inspected by the family uh-huh, right. as a potential future spouse, <laughs> and so um, you know, I think the, what I'm taking away from these conversations about Asian American mm-hmm, art mm-hmm. is there's so many stories in right. the community, and they all need to be shared, right? And I, I, that's the hope. I think the hope is right. just people continue to write their stories and mm-hmm. share them out in the world, and um, you know, over time, like they be, they don't become Asian American stories; they're just stories, right? That's for everybody, true. right, right. So now, um, what's Taipei like for you? <laughs> I'm Taiwanese. Mm-hmm. I want to hear from someone who goes to Taipei for the first time, especially on a love boat journey. Yeah. <laughs> like, what, 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 what does that feel like for you being in Taipei? I had such a great time. Um, I think, in some ways, Taipei is very, very authentically Chinese, mm-hmm. in like the sense, like, so a lot of the treasures in the National Palace Museum, uh-huh. like, they're just they have an amazing collection and. Um, there's a lot of temples that are still around. Oh, right. Whereas right. I don't think you see quite as much of that in mainland China. Right. So in some ways, like it's like a little bit of like a slice of time of an older China. That's that that's sense. true. No, yeah, it makes sense because yeah. a lot of that religion was, you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, so and then and Taiwan mixes a lot of the religions, mm-hmm. like Taoism, Buddhism. Right. It's like their own unique form of what they call Buddhism, but it's really kind of. Also, idol worshiping too, in some way. Yeah, yeah you a lot see of, a lot of the pagodas yeah. poking through the yes. green trees. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So yeah. it's it's a very unique Taiwan <laughs> form of religion, and it's also a very modern very right. city. Or Taipei is a modern city, and you know when I was there two years ago, they talked about how they've eliminated poverty on the mm-hmm. whole island. So I think you know very progressive in a lot of ways, right, which is right. cool. And it feels very warm to me. I mean, I'm from, I'm Taiwanese, so I'm gonna say mm-hmm. it feels very warm to me. But I've not been there since you know I was very young. I yeah. left when I was first grade. So, but but it always feels like home. Like I feel like people are warm there, mm-hmm. even though you don't really know them. But I feel like you know people are are generally more open open and mm-hmm. more willing to help yeah. <laughs> than is sometimes when I go to China. <laughs> but anyway, um, so what, um, how did the love boat impact you personally in your own life? Or did it? It did. It absolutely <laughs> did. Yeah. I've done a lot of thinking about this as I was writing the book uh-huh. and then even afterwards, um, I would say the two big ones are just healing in my identity. Uh-huh. Coming out of Ohio, it wasn't very comfortable being uh, Asian American. Right, and, you know, right, I just right. wanted to blend in as much as possible. Uh-huh. But going on a love boat, I'm like meeting Asian Americans who are excited about their culture yeah. and learning about the culture myself and making mm-hmm. it my own. Like I feel like, okay, I was able to integrate those parts of myself into uh-huh. someone who's stronger for it. And right. I see that when I meet these love boat alumni mm-hmm, now. They're mm-hmm. amazing. And I think they're also similarly healed and confident in who uh, they are. Mm-hmm. The second piece... I only came to recently, and is that, and that's the rebellion. Uh-huh, right, so we did rebel. Right. We were sneaking out. We were like, you know, thumbing our noses at counselors, like completely rude teenagers. But I think that was good for us mm-hmm. because our culture doesn't really celebrate rebellion. Like it's, right. it's really more, you know, right. like at least you know, at the time we were growing up, it's more about obedience and submission to authorities, elders. Yes, you know, yes. reverence for elders, right. and all that is actually good. Yeah, but I think. 
I had friends who were moving through the workforce who were unable to challenge authority. Uh-huh. They, you know, so for example, they're, um, they're defending their dissertation in right. college and they could not, they wanted to meet the professors halfway uh, and the professor didn't want them to meet them right, halfway. They're like, right. no, you need to defend your thesis and like stand up for what you believe. <laughs> right. And they couldn't, they had a really hard time doing right. that because mm. they had been raised in a culture that did not, uh, like did not want challenge right. to authority, right? And so right. I think that experience of rebelling in a safe environment has made us better leaders, uh, more willing right. to be disruptors, which is what yes. we look for in Silicon right, Valley right, right. and, you know, in startup company leaders. Right, exactly. Yeah, so, because we're trained to be not the nail that sticks out. Exactly. Right? And not to boast about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Our parents at least keep telling us that like, you could be really good, but just don't boast about yourself. Right. Like, don't sell yourself. Like, you know, like showing off. It's about showing off. But I think it, it really is a good time for you mm-hmm. to be able to balance the two and kind of discover yourself. Um, would you enroll your own kids in love books? Yeah, so I get this question a lot. And, you know, now that they've been properly warned, you know, maybe it's okay. They can go in, you know, with eyes wide open. Right. It's a smaller program now focused uh, on the tour around the island. Uh-huh. And I think that would oh, actually be a really okay. fun experience. Yeah, I was wondering if they still have it. Yeah, yeah, it's, like I said, it's smaller. But, you know, maybe it'd be fun for me to go with my kids to oh, Taiwan. Right. So maybe we'll do that instead. No, actually, that's actually a good idea because I actually have a lot of friends who you know who bring their kids back uh-huh. now being I think third generation mm-hmm. um, even more removed um, to experience what it's like right. uh, to be you know locally immersed in the food it's a really <laughs> valuable culture. experience right, right, I right. just went to Fujian province with my mom for uh-huh. the first time in June and that I'm third three generations removed uh, from that place right right but it was really amazing like I went to the village where my family's from and there are people mm-hmm. there who are related to me oh like, wow a lot of people who are related to me like <laughs> distantly and then my grandparents and un- grand uncles names were on certain buildings uh, right and that was just right. so surreal oh, to feel nice. that sense of roots and yeah, heritage legacy. and I'm like why didn't yeah. I do this sooner <laughs> yeah that's true it that's was really, really special nice. no I, I agree um because I was recently back and it was kind of nice to hear that you're just walking around the neighborhood uh, even mm-hmm. you know there's so many people now in Taiwan but people still remember like say my father and you know like mm-hmm. my family and and because it's they still keep it very close in some way even in a very um, kind of this new society where they're just yeah right. <laughs> so so much removed with the technology and social media mm-hmm. um, but anyway uh, so what. Uh, is in the horizon for you, and will we see your characters grow up? <laughs> oh, wow, great question. Um, so I am working on a sequel. Mm-hmm. This book is a standalone, but there's a companion novel in the works oh, okay. that follows like some of. Actually, I don't know how many characters yet. Like, at least <laughs> two of the key ones that people wanted to know what happened mm-hmm. to afterwards. Um, but I like that idea of maybe seeing them grow up at some point. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) All right. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, if you have more questions for Abby, you can always, you know, um, text us, email us, uh, you can reach Abby on social media. Um, but anyway, thank you first, uh, for coming on our show today and sharing your amazing stories. So you're quite an inspiration for women, especially pursuing writing career and tech and law. (laughs) But anyway, for all of you who haven't followed, Abigail Wen, you need to do it now. She's an amazing woman of influence who has a lot of great stories to share with you. Um, you can follow Abigail on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and also on your website, abigailhingwen.com. And don't forget to buy her newly released book, Love Boat Taipei. Uh, you can find that in Amazon, right? 
Barnes and Nobles, pretty much on everywhere you yeah, can buy Target, it. <laughs> Target, Costco, and Walmart, and lo- local, Walmart and local <laughs> yeah. independent bookstores. Right, and and the book has rave reviews right now. It's being featured in Entertainment Weekly. Um, it's been on uh, Barnes and Nobles Young Adult Book Club pick, uh, Seventeen Magazine top seven most anticipated book. So lots, lots, and lots of great, <laughs> great news about um, your book. So if you enjoy our podcast today, also. So subscribe to our podcast and check our videos on our website, girlinfluencepower.com or on Collectin's YouTube um, channel. And that's it for today, Abigail. Thank you for coming on our show and tuning in live. Uh, Thank you. you.